This week on Roundtable, it's all about how San Diego gets around. A vision for our own Grand Central Station is getting another look. Hear about the new plan that still includes transit to the airport. And the shift to electric vehicles is more than just the cars we drive. From garbage trucks to forklifts, the push to take the emissions out of our heavy machinery. I'm Matt Hoffman, and this is KPBS Roundtable. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. It might be one of San Diego's most ambitious goals in recent memory, a Grand Central Station, where a unified mass transit hub connects the county to downtown, and finally, a trolley line to the airport. KPBS has been covering this idea for more than two years. It first came to life as a way to repurpose the NABWAR building. That's the old World War II relic in Old Town. It's now being used mostly for cyber projects. Here's how KPBS's Andrew Bowen covered it back then. The Navy plans to design and build a more compact headquarters and pay for it by leasing or selling off its excess land for private development. For help with that vision, the Navy has turned to the county's regional planning agency, SANDAG. It's going so well right now, it's a little scary, actually. Hassan Akrada is SANDAG's executive director. The two agencies are now meeting weekly, trying to hammer out a joint development deal. A big part of Akrada's vision is a new mass transit center with a rail line connecting to the airport less than two miles away. They told us what they need. We told them, if we give you that, will you give us the land? That's pretty much the term of the... And we will take about 14 acres of the land and we will build the San Diego Grand Central and we'll open the rest of it to private development. Ikrata says the addition of a new transit center could kickstart the revitalization of the Midway District, which is plagued by blight. New housing and commercial space would fund some of the transit hub's costs, but it would also require some local taxpayer dollars. Ikrata says finally connecting rail to the airport would be worth it. I want to convince people in San Diego that is to their interest and to their kids and grandkids' interest is to do this, the whole system put this special. This is transformational. This is going to influence what happened from the sport arena all the way to downtown. Again, that was from KPBS reporter Andrew Bowen in February of 2020, but now it looks like we're back to the drawing board. The Navy says it'll do something else with the NAVWAR site. Sandag, which is trying to boost the adoption of public transit, says it now has a new location in mind. It's all detailed this week by Voice of San Diego's managing editor, Andrew Keats. And yes, the elusive goal of rail to the airport is still in play. Welcome back to Roundtable, Andrew. Matt, how you doing, man? Doing well. Good to have you here. So we'll get into all the details in a moment. But first, how did this big change of plans come about or what sort of fell through here? Well, there was some indication late last year that I reported on that the sort of grand design for a grand central station at Navor was losing steam. Sandag, the executive director, Hassan Akrada, indicated to me that as they were required to, as they were studying that idea, they also studied some alternatives. And he indicated to me in an interview that those alternatives had sort of surpassed the old town option as the the top priority uh, and that they were giving more serious looks at the other one. 
There's some complicated reasons for that, mostly the sort of time frame that they were working with, the expense. It was not all that clear how making it a transit station benefited the Navy, how having a Navy headquarters benefited Sandag. There was just a number of pieces in play when you have a project of that big. And it, it looked like regional leaders had decided to simplify their ambitions and go with something else. And that is now official. That is now sort of the ambitious idea of a Grand Central Station as part of a NAVWAR redevelopment has now uh, sort of been put to bed. So now with NAVWAR out of the picture, the focus is turning to the port of San Diego's headquarters. Those who had driven to the airport, they can't miss it. It's that tall building right along Pacific Highway. What's the hope for that property, Andrew? So the idea is that that property will become a new transit station and that will be the main airport link from that station to the airport, potentially with a like a people mover, which is, people may have experienced when they go through other airports, these driverless fixed rail uh, transportation systems that often take people between terminals. I think the main selling point here and the the probably the main takeaway for most people is that that is now the approach that regional leaders have settled on to achieve that elusive off-discussed goal of connecting the transit system to the airport. They think they can immediately start environmental work on getting a project like that approved. And if they do that, they think they could break ground in as little as two years. I will say that that strikes me as very fast, but that's their timeline. And they say if they do that, they could have you know an operational finished system in place in as few as six years or maybe as long as 10 years. And I remember seeing those renderings and it did look grand. Do we have renderings for what this new site would look like? Is it is it similar? Well, no. So, so that site, that Pacific Highway site built at the port headquarters would be a much, much, much less ambitious redevelopment project. In fact, there wouldn't, there's no talk that I've been told so far of building housing or retail or office space on top of that. It would really just be a transit station in close proximity to the airport that would allow people to divert towards the airport and not have to drive when they go there. But they are referring to that as phase one of a two-phase project. And the the second phase, which would be more downtown, that would be the project that would be sort of comparable in ambition to the one up in Old Town which is a, we're bringing back that Grand Central Station idea, but rather than building it in a new area like Old Town that you know doesn't have high rises and super dense housing yet, or, or even much in the way of offices yet, we would put that instead downtown. And we've talked with you in the past about why San Diego does not have a rail line that goes to the airport. The airport recently started its major rebuild of Terminal 1, and that includes carriers like Southwest. Generally, where does the airport stand on this idea of bringing in rail service? The airport is interested. The airport's a willing partner in this case. They're happy with the idea. They've said that they are basically agnostic about the way that it's done, that that's not for them to decide, that's for the transit experts to decide. Their role in this is they have already secured from airport carriers as part of the cost of that Terminal 1 redevelopment, $500 million for all related transportation improvements to help ease access and congestion to and from the airport based on the increased number of flights that they're going to be able to, to service 
based on that that terminal expansion. We're talking with Voice of San Diego Managing Editor Andrew Keats. And Andrew, as you mentioned earlier, your story points out the other big piece of this project. Sandag is now looking at the current city hall complex for something that, as you said, resembles a Grand Central Station. What's the vision there? If you're familiar with the downtown city hall area, there's a, a civic center area that includes city hall, includes a couple nearby buildings, including Golden Hall and the, the Civic Theater and the Center City Plaza, which sort of is across the plaza area from the from the City Hall. So it would include all of that in a mass redevelopment. If you've spent any time at City Hall, you know that it is uh, showing its age quite considerably. It's, it's not a impressive building by any stretch of the imagination. And the city has been quite open for a number of years now that it's, it's just not a, a permanent solution for uh, their office workers. It's not really putting the city's best foot forward. So this would kind of wrap in the city's city hall needs into this idea of a grand central station or a central mobility hub station. Um, but next door to that, also, you've got a fire department, you know, firehouse that needs a new new facility as well, and a block next to that. Sandag has for years tried to build its own headquarters on top of a sort of a bus terminal. It has acquired that block. Across the street from that, the state of California has two blocks that it has made available for redevelopment. And right in this vicinity is the 101 Ash Street high rise that the city of San Diego has been facing a a mess of problems with for a number of years now. It is asbestos contaminated even after the city entered into a long-term lease to own agreement that is tied up in litigation based on number of problems with the property, but that will presumably be sorted out at some point. And so now you can throw that into the mix here as part of this vision. So you've got like seven or eight blocks of property downtown surrounding city hall And the idea, as explained to me, is that you would build a subway terminal for new lines that would be built as part of the region's future transit system that would come in 80 feet below ground under this new central transit station. The trolley and various buses that come through downtown would come in 40 feet below ground. And then above that, you would have your city hall, you would have potentially a new Sandag headquarters. You would have other office space that might need to be built downtown, and you could have quite a bit of housing, including affordable housing, maybe a civic theater to replace the one that's there as well. Who knows what else they could decide to to include in this project. That would all be sorted out in the future after the city tries to you know, go to private developers to help them build this. But I think some of the answers to those questions about what specifically would be in there are, are pretty far off at the moment. You've covered these issues for a long time here in San Diego, and you know all the key players here. Realistically, do you see this vision happening? I mean, bottom line, is this more workable than the NAVWAR idea? I think it's more workable than the NAVWAR idea in one very important way, which is the the transit component. Transit to the airport is a much more practical, foreseeable path forward in some sort of immediate term, whether it's the six years that they're talking about or even the 10 years that the the Maritad Gloria allowed was possible. That component of this project is much more foreseeable than NAVFOR ever was. The downtown project, I think, is, you know, sort of faces a lot of the problems that the NAVFOR 
considered as well. But at least now those sort of ambitions have been decoupled from the pressing need that the region has expressed for many years now of having a transit system that reaches the airport. Voice of San Diego's Andrew Keats is our guest here. And Andrew, you talked with Sandag's board chair and Encinitas Mayor Catherine Blakespear about all this. She had this term analysis paralysis to describe the region's inability to move on big projects like this. What does she mean by that? Well, I think what she means is, and transit to the airport is a pretty good example of this, is there's sort of a broad agreement that it is a problem and that is one we need to solve. But every solution that was proposed would have some group of people that didn't like it as much as some alternative solution. And so you would get into uh, you know, political litigation about whose idea was best. You'd have interest groups line up on one side or the other, maybe a public one public agency favored one, another public agency favored another. And because there was so much disagreement, you just didn't solve it at all. You just sort of said, well, well, we all agree on the problem, what the problem is. But unfortunately, those knuckleheads on the other side of this debate are preventing us from arriving at a a workable solution. And that she was saying, what's really beneficial here is we've now settled it. This is how we're going to try to bring transit to the airport. And now it's just a matter of clearing every hurdle that's in the way of that in the immediate future. We don't have to spend any more time debating the best way to do it. I think that's what she made by it. And I think it's a useful insight. And before we go here, you mentioned earlier that the Navy, they were sort of moving on with their own plans for the NAVWAR site. What are they saying about all this? Yeah, they, they just wanted to make clear that the, you know, that they are still on good terms with the city, no hard feelings that this idea didn't quite work, that the city and Sandeg are still going to essentially play a role in whatever it is they, uh, they decide to do there. Uh, they did have a little bit of news that they're going to start soliciting developers to demonstrate their interest in being part of this project sometime this year. What they need here is a new headquarters for the NAVWAR facility. What they can offer in exchange for that is land that you know a developer can make money off of with everything else they build on the property. This is the same model that they used for their Navy headquarters in downtown San Diego that's now part of a sort of life sciences campus that's being built down there. So that's what they want. And they still, they say that they still want it to be a mixed use project. They still want it to be on top of a transit station if that's possible. And maybe it'll be less dense than they had initially envisioned. And I guess you could scale it all the way back to not being anything more than just a new NAVWAR headquarters, though that does not sound to me like what they want. They they would like to have a nice, big, sparkling, mixed-use project that also happens to give them a NAVWAR facility free of charge. I've been speaking with Andrew Keats from Voice of San Diego. And Andrew, thanks so much for your time today. Hey, thank you, Matt. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, shaping the next generation of data-driven problem solvers. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. It's a bit of relief for those who get around by car, but not by much. After the war in Ukraine pushed gas prices to the $6 range locally, we've seen it come back down a bit. According to AAA, the average price for a gallon of regular is now around $5.80. As a result, we've seen a spike in interest for a 
electric cars, so much so that some popular brands like Toyota and GM are getting close to exhausting their allocated federal rebates. This week on Roundtable, we're taking the EV discussion to a new level, heavy-duty vehicles that are just as big a part of reaching our climate goals. Rob Nikoleski from the San Diego Union-Tribune got an in-person look at some of this new technology. Rob, welcome back to Roundtable. It's nice to be back, Matt. Good to have you here. So this show-and-tell that you saw had a nice backdrop on the Broadway Pier in downtown San Diego. If you can, sort of set the scene for us here. How was it all set up? Yeah, it was basically an event that was set up by San Diego Gas and Electric. They have what they call their annual fleet day. And that's an event that's geared to attract operators who make and sell medium and heavy duty trucks. And a number of automakers were there showing off their rigs. And your story starts by telling us about an all-electric garbage truck. What's the company involved with this technology? And how close are we to, you know, maybe actually seeing these trucks picking up our trash? Yeah, that was, I think, the most interesting thing about the display was that there was a Mack truck, uh, it was a garbage truck, on display, all electric. But uh, there are also other automakers that make garbage trucks. So, for example, Peterbilt, Lion Electric. But I just found that to be very interesting because, you know, there is a movement towards uh, heavy-duty and medium-sized trucks going the electric route but when you see it actually see an electric garbage truck it kind of caught everyone's eye and this mac representative said that they've sold about 20 of those garbage trucks so far so there are a few on the road not a whole lot but they've sold 20 so far in california there's one in santa cruz and the people in santa cruz municipality there is thinking about adding about two more so those mac garbage trucks are on the road they weigh sixty-six thousand pounds that's are pretty heavy and that's a big reason why that they are heavy is because they afford lithium-ion batteries on those trucks. And people listening, everyone knows what a garbage truck sounds like. They're very loud. I'm curious, did you get a demonstration of what this electric garbage truck sounds like? Yeah, they turned it on for us, and it's very, very quiet. It's just like just as quiet as you would experience with an electric passenger car. And range anxiety is a term that drivers of electric vehicles know very well. What sort of range are we talking about for something like an electric garbage truck? Like, is it enough to get through maybe a full day's work? Kind of depends on whether or not it can get through a full day's work. It depends on the locality of the municipality's garbage service route. That's at least what the Mack truck official t- told me he's gave me an example he said let's say that your locality has to go your garbage truck drivers have to go 20 miles just to get to their various routes in that case it's not going to work that well because the range goes from about 70 miles to 100 miles between charges and if you're going to have to do a charge it could take maybe up to two hours so they're basically the sweet spot they're looking at is if a locality has a route that's very close where you don't have to go 20 miles from one place to another but if they're all kind of concentrated in a compact area they say that this is a, a good fit for them We're talking with San Diego Union-Tribune energy reporter Rob Nikoleski. And Rob, SDG&E, we know that they put on Fleet Day. That's the event down there at the Broadway Pier. I'm curious, what role do they play in making sure that there's infrastructure for powering electric vehicles like this? Yes, not just SDG&E. All of the utilities in California have set up programs that were approved by the California Public Utilities Commission to put in charging infrastructure 
for electric vehicles, not just passenger vehicles, but also for these medium and heavy duty trucks. And they offer various plans, like for example, SDG&E's plans include charging infrastructure in which SDG&E, the utility, owns most of the equipment. And but then there are other plans as well that they offer where the operator owns most or all of the equipment. It all depends on what the operator feels, whether they want to spend that much money, spend a little bit less and have the utility own most of it, lease some of it out. It's It, it varies. Governor Gavin Newsom, he wants to end the sales of gas-powered passenger cars by 2035. But what about these heavy-duty vehicles that are used in the private industry and public services? Do they fall under the same sort of mandate? Well, the governor's executive order directed the Air Resources Board of California to develop regulations to require all operators of medium and heavy-duty trucks to be zero emission by 2045, quote, where feasible. So there is some wiggle room there coming down the road. We'll see what happens. There's also Dreyage trucks must be uh, zero emissions by 2035. And Dreyage trucks, for the people who aren't familiar with that, they're basically vehicles that are commonly used to transport freight from an ocean port a very short distance. It's what transportation officials commonly call the first mile of the shipping route. All right, now let's get into some of the other types of vehicles. There's everything from forklifts to the trucks used to unload the cargo at the ports. The food company Dole, they had their own show and tell earlier in the week of new electric trucks that they added to their fleet. What's the importance of making sure that these short-range vehicles are also part of this discussion in the transition to zero emissions? It's all part of reducing emissions in port areas because port areas do emit a lot of greenhouse gas emissions. And the reason why is because generally speaking, they use diesel fuel. So when you've got all that diesel fumes, that really affects places like Barrio, Logan, and also National City that are right next to the port. And they've had traditionally for a long time, had a lot of problems with particulate pollution, air pollution, and that leads to all kinds of health issues like greater incidences of uh, asthma. Are there any types of vehicles that might be harder to convert away from fossil fuels? Yeah, long-haul trucks, where the goods have to be transported a few hundred miles, that's more difficult to make that transition. That's because the range of electric vehicles is usually 200, 300 miles. I did see one truck that had, under optimum conditions, ranges of 350 miles. But even when you're getting to that high end, That's not really going to be conducive if you're going to be doing long-haul, coast-to-coast transporting of goods. We're speaking with UT reporter Rob Nikoleski. And Rob, this all costs money, all this transition stuff. And when it comes to passenger cars, EVs are typically more expensive compared to gas-powered ones. Is that the same for these industrial ones, the the bigger trucks? Yeah, that and actually a little bit more. The Mack garbage truck that I looked at the other day on the Broadway Pier is listed at about $600,000. And that's twice as much as a conventional diesel truck. Uh, And that's pretty common. Electric vehicles are generally much more expensive, but operators who want to buy or lease them can, on the other hand, get discounts, uh, government subsidies, things like that to help offset the price. For example, that Mack truck that I was telling you about, the garbage truck, that can get $120,000 in state-funded discounts. Now, let's get your take on the driving experience. You were able to talk with some drivers. What were their reviews from after getting behind the wheel? 
they were all talking about just how remarkably quiet it is. And the other interesting thing that struck me when I took a look at the cab inside of one of these heavy duty truck vehicles was there's no gearbox. I mean, and if you're, if you've ever seen the inside of a truck cab, you see big gearboxes because the drivers are constantly shifting, but there is no gearbox, at least not in the, this one truck I saw from this company called Nikola that's based in Arizona. And the rep from Nikola told me that he had an experience where a, he had a driver actually drive the vehicle over a long, fairly long distance for a number of days. And he was just, the, the driver was talking about how, how this was the first time and he had been driving for a long, long time. This was the first time he was ever able to drive a big rig. And all he could hear was just the sound of the wheels. He said, I, I could never hear the sound of the wheels because there was too, many, too much other noise that was being generated by the, uh, by the vehicle. But in this case, it's like a Tesla. It's like a Nissan Leaf. It's very, very quiet. We mentioned gas prices at the beginning of this segment, and you've been following the current situation. Generally, do you think that we're reaching a tipping point where electric vehicles are, you know, maybe becoming the standard for consumers because they're just cheaper? Yes, that could very well happen. I think a lot of people are thinking about doing that on the passenger side. Also, that's a selling point that they had on fleet day from a lot of these truck makers that were saying, hey, if you're paying, because actually diesel is more expensive than gasoline right now. So that could lead to a transition there. But there are some challenges, though, because they, as we mentioned earlier, they are more expensive. You get the subsidies and knock the prices down. But it still is a little bit more expensive to make that transition right now. I've been speaking with Rob Nikoleski. He's an energy reporter for the San Diego Union-Tribune. And Rob, thanks so much for being here today. You're welcome, Matt. Before we go, we have a special event coming to KPBS. On Wednesday, April 20th, Metro reporter Andrew Bowen is hosting Unsheltered, Solving Homelessness in San Diego. The online forum includes some of the local experts on the issue, which has no easy fix. The start time is set for 6 p.m. Again, that's next Wednesday night. You can learn more and sign up to participate at kpbs.org. That wraps up this week's edition of KPBS Roundtable, and I'd like to thank our guests, Andrew Keats from Voice of San Diego and Rob Nikoleski from the San Diego Union-Tribune. If you missed any part of our show, you can listen anytime on the KPBS Roundtable podcast. I'm Matt Hoffman. Thanks so much for being here. We'll catch you next week on Roundtable. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.